Today on the show, we're diving into the topic of I'm just not a saver. Is that okay? Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. Today on the show, we're talking about something we hear quite often and we thought we would address. It is the overarching question or statement, I'm just not a saver. Is that okay? So actually, I heard this 25 years ago, maybe not to the day, but it was 25 years ago, a relative of mine, I was visiting them and I was admiring the comfortable life they had set up for themselves, an enormous home with all the furnishings and all the toys in, in boats and cars and trucks and ATVs. They, they had all the comforts of life. I mean, it was just like an amusement park for adults and everything was high end. And I remember visiting this relative, and don't worry, they're not listening. None of my relatives, none of my relatives listen to this show. So, but I was visiting this. This I said, "Wow, I can't believe the the life you've got. This is amazing." And his response, okay, I've given it away. It's him. His response was, "Yeah, it, it doesn't come for free." You know, I I go, "How do you do this?" And he goes, "Well." I'm not a good saver, but I'm a great payer backer, which it's not proper English, but that's how he said it. And I thought, well, that's awesome. He knows he's got this all figured out. He knows how to do this. He just borrows the money and he pays it back and he gets this awesome life. And I thought, you know, how awesome is it that you come to that conclusion that I'm, I'm not a great saver, but I'm a great payer backer. And through that, you created this awesome life. And I, at 25 years ago, I was a young person coming of age, I walked away and I thought, wow, he's got it figured out. And I never thought much more about it. Then just recently, and I'll say an acquaintance, I was admiring a home they recently acquired. And I said, wow, that's a really nice home. You know, that's, and then they happened to be driving a a really nice truck. And I said, and I was, they happened to get them almost at the same time. And uh, they also in the summer, acquired a boat. So you, you, you get the picture here. There's, there's some comforts of life showing up. And I said, wow, you really are uh, living the high life. And that person said, well, you know, I, I'm not a great saver, but I'm great at paying back. You know, I'm, I'm just good at that. So it's easy. And I, of course, they weren't reaching out for any advice from me, so I didn't offer any. But I realized how my thinking had changed from 25 years ago to today. I, I felt terrible for this person. I felt oh my, my goodness, I, I wish you would ask me for my input or some advice. or Because this acquaintance is a younger person. They got lots of years of mistakes ahead of them if they continue down this road. And I just felt if I could only reach out to this person and just, of course, you can't shove advice down people's throats. It doesn't go well if you do. I've tried it. I, I had to walk away. You know, I didn't shake my head. I was very respectful and polite. But anyway, that, that's the premise of this show. That, that's how this show has, has come to be. So I, I, I'm, we're going to dive into the show. And as like we mentioned last week, we will be touching on some listener write-ins, listener questions, listener topics, suggestions. We'll do that at the end of the show. So that will be coming at the end. But for now, Trevor, so what, with everything you just said, what is wrong? What, what is wrong with, with that statement? I am not a saver. I am just great at paying back. Where, where, where does the, where does it all fall down? And, and my second half of the question is how, how does it come about that those individuals feel confident in saying that? Well, I, I think they, they, they truly like this person, both these people actually believed it to be true. They believed that this is a strategy that they deployed and it worked. And just for the record, the person who 25 years ago came to that conclusion, that relative, they ended up downsizing their entire life when retirement showed up. When it came time to retire, they went scorched earth and basically just got rid of every luxury in life they ever owned in order to retire. So, and I'm not passing judgment. I just, that's an observation. At the end of the day, the problem is saving money in our society is an absolute learned discipline. It is not something we are, we come out of the womb possessing this skill. It's, it's not like how you, you naturally breathe. I mean, in our society, s- saving money is not the norm. Most people are in debt. And I think I, I, the stat keeps changing, but the last time I heard it, in Canada, for every dollar earned, a dollar sixty-five is owed. So 
clearly we're, we're spending more than we're earning. There's no opportunity to build wealth when that is your strategy for life. There is no opportunity and, and you, you end up with a life just full of risk because that life is full of debt. And here's the thing. So these people believe they're really good at paying back money. They're really good at it. Well, you know what? You're not good at it. You're contractually obligated to pay that money back. You know, they will come and repossess everything you bought with it if you don't. So you're not good at it. You're contractually obligated. But you flip that around to save. You, that is something you have to get good at, to save money and then not spend it. Right? Saving money, I always say this, saving money is, is the easier part. Having the money sit there and not spend it is twice as hard, maybe four times as hard. It requires that much more discipline. But don't tell me you're good at paying money back. If you, just say if if you wanted to be good at paying money back, you'd pay it back twice as fast, right? That then you might have some sort of skill, right? And and if you repaid your debt in half the time, you you will have demonstrated a whole bunch of discipline. So, but these people they're not good at paying. They're just contractually obligated to repay their debts. So uh, first of all, I agree with everything you just said there, but. When did you come to the conclusion between now and the past 25 years that that logic was flawed? Or did you only come to that realization after seeing maybe the results of that person's decisions when they had to downsize their life in retirement? So I've mentioned on this podcast, I'm an anxious person. Like if there's a spectrum and some people reflect on the past and they they are are in more of a depressed mindset and some people on the spectrum are at the other end and they focus more on the future and they're an anxious person. So I, I'm on that spectrum. So I, I tend to, not worry might be a strong word, think about the future. And it, so having debt and being an anxious person, they don't go together. I, I actually took it for a test drive and didn't like it. So so anxiety and debt are not a good combination. So if you're more neutral on that spectrum and you're you're not, you don't, worry about the past and you don't worry too much about the future, you probably could live in that world of debt. But for me, I came to the realization that my anxiety would did not pair well with debt. So trying to design a life where I'd be a good payer backer was not going to work. So that's how I came to that realization. I didn't actually come to the realization at a young age that that wasn't a good idea. I just knew how I felt when I did have debt. I, I, I was very anxious and, and, and I worried a lot. So in without debt, I worried less. So I came to that conclusion, that, that psychology uh, 101 for myself. But I've had I waited to see how it played out for this relative where they did scorched earth, you know, got rid of, sold everything they ever owned in, in terms of comforts of life just to retire. I would have been too far down life's road, or not too far down, but I would have been far enough down life's road that I would have had a mountain of debt myself. So I, I didn't wait to see how their life played out to to make a decision about mine. It was another factor that drove me away from that strategy. But But just to clarify, this isn't a strategy that is recommended for anyone. You're just saying personally that's when you discovered that it wasn't one that was going to work for you. You're not You're not saying that people can live by being good payer backers, but not good savers. A hundred percent. I got, I, I don't recommend this for anybody. And when we go through the show, I'm going to outline the, the, how flawed this, this strategy is. But I think a lot of people believe it, it is a strategy that, and they, they actually, I think I, so I've met two people that have told me they're great payer backers. I don't think they're alone. I think a lot of people believe that that's a skill they've developed. And that statement right there leads me to my next question. When I hear that statement, I am a good payer backer, I, I, and I'm not a good saver, if I zero in on that specifically, when I hear that, it sounds like an excuse. It sounds like an excuse for not getting good at these skills that are important. But are you saying then it's not merely an excuse? Oh, I, 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 I have debt because I'm not a good saver. That's not a thing. You're saying it's kind of the other way that they believe the strategy works the other way for them. No, I think they believe they've developed a skill. These people are have convinced themselves or somebody's convinced them that they're good at something and why not exploit that skill and borrow a whole bunch of money because I'm really good at paying it back. Thinking they've got a strategy and they developed a skill, they don't have to worry about the saving skill. They've got a solution to it, right? And so 
that's the that's the sadness is they think they've these people think they've actually acquired some rare random skill that they're good at and they believe it so in thinking okay i've done the hard work i've figured out how to pay back debt i don't need to learn anything else i've got i've got this don't don't worry about me i got it it's a really counterintuitive way to look at it but i do agree with what you're saying that does it does make sense from that perspective if you are living in a world where where you feel like that is your superpower being able to pay back money well, you know, when we were started to record this episode, Courtney was saying the, what the episode was about. And it, I, I'm going to say this is how the nuance of it. So say what you had said before we edited it and we recorded it. Let me see if I can get this right. So I said, I'm just not a saver. Is that okay? Is that what I said? Yeah. And that, I think so. And, and but I, I, we stopped and I said, no, no, that didn't sound right. It, it sounded positive. And so we tamed it to saying, I'm just not a saver. Is that okay? And I'm saying it's so nuanced that if you say it wrong, it's it, it goes from a, a a statement to a question, right? It, it's it's that it's that nuance that you could convince yourself that you're making a statement, right? Right. I'm just not I'm just not a saver. It's okay. Oh, right? you know what? Now that you say it again, so this first take, by the way, did not make it into the show. We actually we we cut it and and re and restarted. But I see I see the nuance there. I do see the nuance. So it's it's in so it's it's so subtle the way we introduced the show that we had to re-record it that it, if if people could say those words to themselves like you know I would talk about the words rattling around in your head if you don't say them out loud and you don't hear them you don't stop and think about them but if you said that out loud you you'd still be okay with it right so it, it's <laughs> it's that nuance it's right fine, that, we're that, fine it's fine we're fine right no I I agree with that. Let's let's continue to dive into this very nuanced concept. We're going to talk about how so many people end up going down this road. And then we're going to talk about the problem with using debt to advance through life. And then finally, because we're called Simple Money Solutions, we're going to talk about the solution to this challenge we're talking about today. So first of all, Trevor, how do so many people end up going down this road? So the first one that come to mind is, and I think we start out, a lot of us start out life in the hole, meaning we, when we come of age, like when I say start out, I'm not talking about birth, I'm talking about becoming an adult in the world. So you graduate from post-secondary education, college, university, and you probably have, if not a ton of student debt, you've got some student debt you've acquired. So you're starting at your working life in the hole, but it, it's, let's just say it's led to a really good job. So debt has, have, has had a positive experience in your life. You've acquired an education. Yeah, I'm not saying this is a bad idea, but you've, you've had this really positive experience with debt. You know, I've got this awesome job. I'm making great money. I had to borrow money to do it and then I'll repay it, right? And I repay it and just say you think you're good at repaying it, right? You, you paid it back like a, like a champ and, and it all worked out. So your first step into adulthood was with debt for a lot of people and it it appears like a win right it really does so i think this this sets you up for well let's try it again <laughs> like let, let's buy a car we'll borrow some money and you know i'll pay that back like a champ and it's it's going to keep working out right and it's not until you you get to your your expensive truck and your house and all your other things and you keep going through life using debt to solve your your problems eventually i have to think time becomes a great equalizer in life eventually you're like that relative of mine scorched earth let's sell everything i need to retire and you end up okay he was able to retire but he got comfortable with a certain sort of style of life and his retirement he's probably down where i am i'm i'm a frugal person but he wasn't he probably feels like somebody eating dog food right he's he's he had to bring himself down to such a level just to retire that he's probably miserable doing it no i'd agree with that and i like the emphasis you placed on the idea that paying off debt becomes this positive reinforcement cycle i mean it, it's true it's you really can start to associate paying off debt and, and acquiring debt and then paying it off as this very new nuanced positive experience well, the lending institutions, 
They want you to have that positive reinforcement when you borrow money. They want that positive experience. They, they, they're, they're banking on it, right? That's their whole business model. So it, if, if at the end of your, your loan payment, like, we, oh, here's one. When you pay off your mortgage, when you finally pay off your mortgage, the bank is like banging down your front door saying, hey, did you know you can borrow money against your equity in your home? <laughs> You know, like we're your friends here. Like you were so good at paying that mortgage off that we want you to do it again. <laughs> you know, you nailed it the first time. Why don't you take a second crack at it, borrow some money against your mortgage and, and see if you can do it again. Like you're that good. <laughs> the gift that keeps on taking. So, so that's number one. That's the first reason why so many people end up going down this road is because we often start out life in the hole. The second of three reasons is that we need to acquire things to create a comfortable life. I'm not saying everybody should live like scorched earth. You, you should want a comfortable life. Like every, your definition of a comfortable life is different. I think too much comfort and you end up in a cage, right? So I, I'm not a fan of uh, a lot of comforts in life, but I mean a reliable car, a comfortable home. Those things cost money. Uh, typically, you borrow money to acquire these comforts, right? That that that's that's especially early in life. I mean, you you're you're trying to pay off your student loans. I mean, you're just getting started. You, you may borrow money to create some comforts of life, and I, I'm not going to judge people that do. I I'm not a fan of it. I think you should be patient and and save, but. If, if early in life you do borrow money to acquire some furniture and, and transportation, and again, you get these positive reinforcements, but it happens early in your life. So you, you keep thinking, so you went from your student loans to comforts of life, and it's still, you get this constant positive experience. In fact, just say you bought your, your really expensive car or truck, and you drove it for you know, three years and you decided, well, those new ones even look shinier. I think I want one of those. The, the experience to go trade that in and roll the, the, the negative equity in that vehicle back into another loan is so painless and seamless. And you will, they'll make you feel like this is how, this is the trick they play. So the, the lending company will make you feel like you paid off that first car loan. You know, I actually, I think that's how it, it appears in your, your credit history, if I'm not mistaken. I haven't borrowed enough money to buy vehicles, but I'm pretty sure it looks like you paid that loan off. You know, say, say you bought a car or let's go with a $65,000 truck. <laughs> so you bought your $65,000 truck, you drove it for three years and you said you had a five-year car loan or truck loan. And you say, ah, you know, I think I want a, a newer one. So you go trade it in and they, they extinguish the first debt and they, they kind of roll it into your next debt, you didn't really pay it off, right? You didn't, you just, you traded it in early, but you, they, they make you feel like you got a win. So it's kind of misleading. That is so misleading. And I, I feel like that there's a huge awareness piece about the fact that that actually happens. And I, I do have a question. Well, it, they, this may have changed. The last time I borrowed money from a, for a, a vehicle was in 1989. <laughs> so, so things may have changed, but that's what it looked like back then. No. And honestly, I, I believe that that is probably, it has to be a thing that's still happening today. I, I do have a question with this specific point. When you say we need to acquire things, is that, is that need in air quotes? Is that a, a, a feeling that we need to acquire the things or is that the actual, we need to acquire the things to create a comfortable life? I think there's things you need to acquire. Like I wanted a comfortable home for my family and I wasn't about to save up the money to buy it. My family would have been not in need of a home by the time I'd saved up enough money. So there is things you need to borrow money for, comforts of life for sure. And the third point for how do so many people end up going down this road is society's expectations and timelines are unrealistic. And this is so damaging. I mean, people believe they they look at acquiring things as benchmarks of their success in life. So, okay, you graduate from college or university, that timeline makes sense. That one, you may have borrowed money to do it, but right there, that makes sense. Everything after that is so individual. The, your first car, that's when you need a car, not when you should own a car. Your first home, 
It's not when you should own a home. It's when you actually need a home. Everybody, this is going to be different. So society puts these unrealistic, incredibly short timelines. So I know people who, this this one lady, she was she was going to own a house by the time she was 30. If she, if, she, if she had to rob a bank, she was going to own a house by the time she was 30. And I, I said, what's the urgency with owning a home? You know, in, I, by the time you're 30. And she says, I want to be viewed as an adult. I, want, I, I feel I'm, being, I'm not maturing as I should be if I don't own a house by the time I'm 30. And I'm not saying owning a home is a bad idea, but that was her whole purpose for owning a home was was to own that home by the time she was 30 whether she needed a house or not that that was a benchmark she had she felt society had placed on her and from that perspective right i i definitely understand how societal pressures can it can make you think that you want that or, or actually make you want that but what about in the sense of an individual who wants to start a family by 30 what what about that is that even though, so that's that's actually something the individual wants, but how, how does that come into play? Okay, I, I'm not a doctor, but I will play one on the internet. <laughs> There's a biological clock ticking in terms of, of, of having a family. As modern medicine advances, I, I, I think you, you can start a family earlier and earlier and it still be safe. But I, I think that one, that, that, that timeline is kind of a biological one. So the next section we are going to cover is the problem with using debt to advance through life. And I, my first question for you, before we even dive into the problems, is you mentioned back in the previous section that you did so use debt to acquire things to create a comfortable life in your family. And, and, and that's kind of where my last question came from, is that if you do want to start a family and you want to own a home to raise that family in... It, it, those are all kind of key pieces. So maybe owning that home is a key piece for you and, and having the stable environment to raise a family. So uh, kind of overarching big things like that is, is there a problem with using debt to advance through life in, from that perspective? No, in that, the, so this lady I was referring to, she, her, hers was not, she, her, she wanted a home by the time she was 30 because she felt that was a rite of passage to being a, an adult in society needing a home to raise a family in that you want to start by the time you're 30, that is a, uh, so the one person that I just first person described, that was a want. I want a home so society will judge me as an adult. The situation you're describing is I need a home because I want to raise a family in it. That's a need. So I see that as a different requirement. No, and, and that clarification really, it does make a lot of sense. So for for the sense of just just in general, the problem with using debt to advance through life, there's there's four main problems. So the first problem is that debt requires income. And this was this relative I was they obviously had to sell everything in order to retire. But having debt to advance through life, you the more debt you acquire, the more income you need, and then the the more income you need, the more vulnerable you are to job loss and replacing that income. So using debt, and I mean, this could be in any show we do, how I feel about debt, but debt requires income. Income requires a job. The job needs to... So if you have debt that minimum wage jobs can service, you're probably okay. If you have a debt level that requires a six-figure fixed six-figure job to service all of a sudden you have more you have problems because six-figure jobs are not falling from the sky right they're harder to get than a minimum wage job so the problem with advancing through life using debt is it requires income and in tough economic times which we have not seen in quite some time jobs can be hard to come by no and, and that's a great point and it also creates this this level of stress on the individual to make sure they maintain that job or like you said, replace that income with another income. And that, like you said, can be challenging. The second problem with using debt to advance through life is that debt has a ceiling. Savings does not. If you're just not a saver and you're okay with debt to solve your problems, there's a um, maximum amount of money 
that lending institutions will loan you given a level of income. And the more debt you acquire, the less money those institutions are going to be willing to lend you. So at some point, you're going to top out all the credit you can get. There, There is a limit to what you... In fact, I hear people, this is a common term. I noticed this. So this is just after Christmas we're recording this. People are saying, I got to pay down my credit card so I can book my trip to Cuba. <laughs> you know, I got to pay down my credit card so I got enough room there to buy my my tickets to my all-inclusive resort. And that's, they've run out of credit, right? These people have run out of credit. So now they're, they're, they're paying down just enough so they can get some room on their card to buy their next vacation. That's such a dangerous place to be in. But, and, but, but the, the savings, the savings, that's, that's limitless, right? The only savings is really the amount of excess income you have time multiplied by time, right? And it, it can just keep building and building and building and building. There's there's literally no limit to how much money you can save. And that's where the power comes in of saving. And I love that. Number three is debt adds risk to everything. This is the third problem with using debt to advance through life. And I mentioned I, I, I struggled with anxiety. And when I was younger and I had a, a family and I was the sole breadwinner for this family, and I had a mortgage, and I didn't really have much debt outside of that. Uh, I was at times terrified. You know, the place I worked, I, I live in a small town, and every once in a while, you know, the economy would slow down. And I mean, the place I worked, they've been talking about closing that place since I started working there. <laughs> and the, every, I think anybody who ever's worked anywhere, there's always the fear or the threat they're going to close your branch or your location or the whole company. Uh, that's always in the back of people's minds. And I, I just think, and I say this in every episode, so it, this kind of goes back to the first one, debt requires income and income has an element of risk to it, right? Your job can be taken away at a moment's notice and having debt just adds risk to everything you do. And I watch these YouTube videos. The, sometimes I'll get in a rabbit hole of YouTube and they're on repossessions where they'll repo, a tow truck will come along and repossess a car where someone's falling behind on their loan payments. And if you watch these videos, these people are, the what they're willing to do to stop the repo man from taking their car is, is dramatic. I mean, that's why these videos exist. People throw themselves in front of moving vehicles in an effort to stop the repo man from stealing their, their car. I mean, the, people are, so borrowing money, and, and if you thought you would, be that person. I mean, you should never borrow money. If 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 you would, if you would go to that length to protect a a car that you weren't making your loan payments on. So so true. That is that's a great example as well. Number four and the fourth problem with using debt to advance your life is there is no wealth building opportunity. And so, just say you're really good at paying back debt, like you think you are, but you're really not. You're just contractually obligated to. Uh, you never develop the discipline to save money and then not spend it. You're never going to build wealth. I mean, the magic, here's the magic formula, algebraic formula for, for building wealth. Spend less than you earn and invest the difference. Well, <laughs> that's the magic behind the curtain. So and mathematical. If, and if so, if you can't spend less than you earn, and just think of debt here for a second. So if you, if you were just had, just say you were a year away from being debt free. And then another year after that, you'd have 20 grand in the bank. So you're $20,000 in debt. So you spend one year paying off that debt. And then the next year, saving up $20,000. That's two short years of your life that, that could change your, your whole future. It, it just, just two so now if you're 20 years old, the two years sounds like an eternity, but when you're 50, two years is like a winter's nap. So two years could change your whole future if you could just spend less than you earn and save the difference. Like, I mean, if you, if you buy, if you don't buy into, I'm just not a good saver, if, if you can debunk that and say, you know, that's not an option, not being a saver, that's not a choice. If, if you can make that that statement. Remember, say it out loud and become a saver. 
all of a sudden wealth building opportunity is just at your doorstep. So now is the time to talk about the solution side of this problem, the problem with using debt to advance through your life, the problem with not being a saver and just being a payer backer. So uh, Trevor, you have three solutions here. So the first solution to becoming a saver, not being a payer backer is get to a place where you spend less than you earn. And I said this in the, the previous section, but this sounds super easy, right? It, but but get to a place where you spend less than you earn. It it is so instinctful to for people to want to spend all the money they earn. But to get to a mental space, I'm not talking a mental space where you spend less than you earn. When you, when you 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 have your documented budget, all this money's coming in, and only this much is going out, and you're okay with that. You got to get to that mental space. I got to think most people listen to podcasts, they are okay with that. But most, there's a, there's a ton of people who aren't. So I'm saying reach out to those people, help them get to a place where they, and this sounds so simple, but it is, it is literally, people struggle with it across the whole country. Spend, get to a mental space where you're okay with that. The second solution, and do these solutions work hand in hand or are these three separate solutions? I think I could have made this list 10 things long, but I, I just thought these three kind of resonate with um, people who think they're not being a saver. I think all three of these are need to be deployed at the same time. So on that note, the second is always spend money that is at least one month old. Now this sounds kind of corny, but because we kind of we kind of spend electronic money. We don't spend like paper money, but never be spending money that you earned this month. So if whatever you earn this month, it, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a, a mind trick. I'll call it to spending less than you earn is the money you're spending. If you, if you could mentally look at it and say, I, I earned this back in December and I'm spending it in January. Like that's, that's the mind space that that's a, a mind trick to get you into the right space of spending less than you earn is the money I spend is at least a month old, which would suggest you have at least a month's worth of money in some sort of savings account somewhere. That's a really, really great idea to take on. Is this one that you, is this one that you've kind of followed for a while that has helped you even when you were maybe younger? I, I did use this in, when I was younger and sort of transitioning into a more financially responsible life. I like it. And, and number three, the third solution we can take on to become a saver and, and not necessarily a, a just a, just spend money as we have it is become in love with a process that will lead you to saving. And we did a whole show on this. You, you've got to have a process. And so you can't just save for the sake of saving. Like you can't, people that want to lose weight, if, if you just go on a diet of eating, you know, rice cakes and <laughs> some, something not tasty, you'll be miserable. So become in love with frugality, become in love with optimization. Like don't, if I just told you to save money because it's a good idea and you're miserable doing it, that's not a life worth living. You have to become like become one with frugality, become one with minimalism, embody the, the concept and, and, and just when people say, Hey, what do you do? I'm a minimalist or I'm a, I'm super frugal, like be that person, embody that thing and just make, wrap your whole life around some aspect that, that makes you not spend every penny you earn. So being a, okay, here's, here's, here's a thing that people, a lot of people say is, or a lot of people I know, they're, they're tech guys. I love tech, tech, you know, technology. I'm a tech guy. They're okay saying that, but them being a tech guy, they spend a just a ton of money on technology that they don't need. They got 75 inch TVs and surround sound systems and a Bluetooth speaker in every room. And, and you know, they got the latest iPhone in their pocket all the time. And they're, and they're okay saying they're, they've embodied the concept of being a tech guy. They've embodied that. They, they say, Hey, what do you do? I'm a tech guy. Like the, they're proud of it. Well, embody fruit, some sort of money saving thing. Like say I'm okay. Just say, I'm a reader. I love reading. Like I just, I'm a reader. That's, I'm a bookworm. Well, that's not expensive hobby that, 
In fact, all the time you spend reading, you're not spending money. I mean, you might spend it on books, but they're a lot cheaper than the tech guys' stuff. So be okay, here's something. I'm a podcaster. I love being a podcaster. It doesn't cost a lot of money to be a podcaster. I love being a podcaster. So I'll say, people ask me, hey, what do you do? I I say I'm a podcaster. And then I'll spend the next half hour explaining to them what a podcast is. And at the end, they they still won't know what, you know, that whole hour went by and they still don't know what a podcast is. They'll say, gee, it sounds a lot like radio. (laughs) And I go, well, you're not wrong. But anyway, so I don't say I'm a podcaster to a lot of people because it tends to lead to long, pointless conversations. That is the exact same for me. that, That go nowhere. But I say that to you. I say I'm, I'm a podcaster. I've embodied the idea of me being a podcaster. I love listening to podcasts. I love recording podcasts. I love coming up with ideas for podcasts. I love producing podcasts. And I love everything about them. So I, I'm okay saying I'm a podcaster. And it, in in being embodying that hobby, that hobby is the is probably the most low-cost hobby I've ever done in my life. There's so little cost to doing this. And it consumes so much of my time, which I absolutely love. And but but that's an example: is become in love with a process that. Okay, I said that will say lead to saving money. First, become in love with a process that doesn't cost, that doesn't lead to spending lots of money. That that's that's the first step. And then, if you can accomplish that, then then embody some other process that leads to saving money, like like frugality or optimization or. Or some other thing where you're always trying to stretch the useful life of, of a car or, you know, you're, okay, here's one. You're a thrifter. That could be, you can embody thrifting. Like, that's your thing. You just love it. You wake up Saturday morning, you hit all the yard sales. You, you just, you love finding things that cost next to nothing that that are useful in your life. I, I could go on all day because I'm so passionate about this concept. But I think this is this is the most important of the three. I love that. So many good ways that we can embody the process that will lead us to savings. So that brings us to the end of this portion of the episode where we talked about, I'm just not a saver. That's okay, right? No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just not a saver. Is that okay? Anyway, so it's not okay. But uh, so we talked about how do so many people end up going down this road, the problem with using debt to advance through life, and then the solution to remedy that. We'll have the notes for this portion of the episode in the show notes. You can refer back to them. And we're going to switch gears now to talking about just some of the uh, submissions that we've received over the past, uh, past few months that have led to basically future episodes that we hope to touch on and just some notes that we've received as well. So again, this is just a, a, a couple that we'll, uh, we'll touch on today. And if you ever do have anything that you'd like to send to us, you can always do so by reaching out to us in a, uh, a we have a bunch of different ways you can reach out to us. So we have Facebook and Instagram. It's at Simple Money Solutions. You can send us a message there. We also you can reach out to us through our website, Live Life Simple. Uh, .ca. We have a contact submission form, or you can just send us an email, livelifesimple365 at gmail.com. So first up, uh, two kind of uh, points that we received through emails. Um, these are just kind of to touch on things we talk about in the past. So um, Trevor, we did a budgeting app, budgeting episode. Uh, we did a two-part episode, and we received... Um, some some comments around that. So a few a few emails we received was around the budgeting app that we use, and we are advocates. We love Home Budget. Yeah, it's an iOS app, and it's it's super stripped down. It's it's just called Home Budget. When you look it up in the App Store, it looks super boring and no nothing flashy, not a lot of reviews, but. One, here's a, just a quick overview. So, so the criteria for me using a, a smartphone app for my personal finance is I, I don't want to connect it to my bank or my credit cards. I don't want to connect it to any of those things. So that is a requirement. And so if you put that limitation on the apps you're going to use, most of them require you to put in your banking information before you can even use the app. It's not even a, an option. So Home budget is, it may look like a stripped down one, but if you add that limitation to your selection criteria, you really pare down the options. 
And the good thing about home budget is that why I personally love it is that you can you can almost pretend that your debit card and credit card and cash are all actually linked in because it allows you to set the balances for each. You can set how much cash is in your wallet. You can set the total. So when you actually start to use the app for the first time, you can set how much is actually in your debit card or on in that you have in your checking and your savings accounts, how much you actually have on your credit card, what that's at. And then you can use it to reconcile and, and, and make sure that in your actual checking and savings account, it's at, it's represented in the number in the app. I hope that makes sense. But it, it did. And one other thing is this app requires you to handle every single transaction has to be manually handled. Yes. That that was another requirement for me and my wife for a finance app in that we don't want any automation. We want we want to have to handle every single expense and be able to see it and be okay with it, understand it. Uh, if it's a recurring one, it's going to continue you 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 get to revisit all your expenses every month. The ones that are automatic and they 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 are sort of based on where you spent the money, it automatically categorizes itself. Those are so dangerous. You do not want those. You want if you ever signed up for a, a free trial on anything on the internet, and then you don't cancel in the the three month window of the free trial. Like okay, Spotify has this. Every new customer gets a three month free trial. Well, if you don't. If, if you weren't looking at your expenses and you weren't using Spotify, say you tried your free trial for a couple weeks and you didn't like it, it's a pretty good program. You probably would like it, but just say you didn't. Then you, that that expense would be going on in the background for, for it could be for years before you know what, you had ever caught your attention saying, what's that 10 bucks coming out of my account every month for Spotify? I, I don't even use it. This is how these conversations happen all the time. Like I guarantee you they do. So in the world of free trials, those free trials exist because they assume you're not looking at your your, your expenses and it's just going to slip through the cracks. And two other things about this, uh, Trevor, you mentioned you and your wife use it. So just to confirm that this is an app that you can uh, share with your with with other people and seeing the same the same thing on the app. Is that is that correct? Yeah, it's kind of cumbersome. It's it's not that slick in that you have to. You have to share the the app database with somebody, and they import it. So you, you're never going to have real time expenses amongst multiple people. But just remember the criteria I, I placed on my choice was very restrictive. So that that's how. So this is cumbersome. It it really it, it's so how it works right now is my wife will share the database with me once a week. So we're always looking at it weekly. But she she has because she's inputting all the the expenses and all the income she has the the most up to date version every time she updates it i and then i i only get the most the latest version once a week and uh, we had one listener write in jmar hopefully i'm pronouncing that correctly and um jmar is using the app to track just expenses before moving into actually using it as a budgeting purpose and i think that is wonderful i know that's how i started using it as well just great way to track expenses before you're ready to to input some budget numbers and i when i downloaded i think and i hopefully there is there was a free version a paid version um so you can kind of test it out to see if you if you like it before getting the paid version but i i don't think the paid version is that much um, so we're going to move on from that, but just as a final, uh, a thing about that, we're, we're not sponsored at all by home budget where we just are huge advocates of the app and, uh, its functionalities. So we received actually two emails about this and this was about again, budgeting, but us offering a budgeting template for your use or your reference. So how I use a, a spreadsheet in my world of budgeting is we use the budgeting app as a bookkeeping tool to accumulate expenses in given categories, spending categories. And then I will take that information monthly and put it into a spreadsheet that if you can picture it, I've got my spending categories down the, down the first column and I've got the months of the year across the, a bunch of rows and I... I kind of just run a, a basically a cash flow statement. Uh, you know, here's my income, here's all my expenses. So I start with my opening balance uh, of cash, my income minus all my expenses, my closing balance of cash in January, 
And then, of course, the closing balance in January becomes the opening balance in February. And the same thing happens. I add my income, subtract my expenses, closing balance in February. And I run that through the whole year. And I run that out five years, five-year window. And I will adjust expenses for inflation. And it just gives me this long-range window of where my my spending could go. Now, I, I will develop some sort of template just so people get a, a feel for what it looks like. And we'll put it on our website for people to download. And as a disclaimer around that, we, of course, Excel describing doesn't really do justice with audio, but we have, I guess, hesitated but to put out um, an actual template just because we truly believe that a budgeting template is is unique to to everyone who may use one. So again, when it, it does get up there, I, I think it'll simply... And I, I, Trevor, provide more of an inspiration uh, in the creation of your own budget and not one to kind of live and breathe by, per se. Oh, it, it, it's very simple. It's not going to require a lot of spreadsheet skills. And you're right. It's just to give you a, visualize, a visualization of what I'm trying to accomplish with it. And you're right. The audio doesn't really describe what I'm trying to do. But if you saw the spreadsheet, you say, oh, I get it. And and you'd see how how useful it is. You What this does is it gives you a window in the short term of where you may have cash flow problems, right? Where you you might not have enough cash flow to meet some lumpy expenses that show up in your life, like insurance or things that, that you pay once a year, like your taxes or th- things that, that show up, not they're not like a monthly expense, but maybe they're quarterly or annual expenses. So you start to get a, a, a very visual picture of where you're going to, you have cash flow problems. And then when you start to run your, it out into the, you know, two, three to five year range, you just get a feel for it. I use it for a what if scenario, you know, if, if I reduce my income, you know, what's my break even point? Like how, how low of an income could I have before uh, I couldn't meet my expenses? It's sort of a, a sensitivity analysis tool. If you think of it that way. That's, that's super, super valuable. I love it. Um, so, so those are kind of the, the things we wanted to mention, the great points that were brought up. And as for, uh, Trevor's spreadsheet, we, uh, will post it, our, post it on our social media and also just make note of it on an upcoming episode when it is, uh, live and on our website. So we are always looking for topic suggestions. This podcast is created for you and for the things that you find interesting and that you want to hear about. So we are always so completely open to knowing what you would like to hear on the show and what, what you find interesting, what, you, what what kind of conversations we want to have. So I'll run through just kind of a few that were mentioned. There's a, there's a lot more, but these are just kind of the, the few that we wanted to touch on. Um, so the first one that came up was one around the topic of divorce. And so divorce can be financially crippling to I've heard enough stories that it can be so financially crippling to somebody. And the later it happens in life, the, the stories I've heard, the worse the outcome. Uh, it's, it's a show worth doing and talking about. I, we're certainly not going to give marital advice, but uh, I think it, divorce is an interesting topic. I, I think just the awareness of how it would impact you financially would be worth, it would be a good show topic idea. I think, I don't think this should, you know, change the, the idea that you are going to get divorced. You're not going to get divorced, but just the awareness. Definitely. Definitely. So that can, uh, that's definitely one you, uh, will, uh, be slating in for a future episode. The next really great suggestion we had from Spencer was a ta- a show focused around new parents. And this is a really good show idea. And you know, I, it's been a long time since I've been a new parent. So it, it's, it kind of isn't at the front of my mind, but it's definitely one we're talking about because you can lose your mind when you become a new parent. You you will spend every penny you have and a whole bunch of pennies you don't <laughs> to do whatever it takes to make your child safe and comfortable. Now, and and people they they will go overboard. I went overboard. I remember taking my kids. This is back before digital photography existed. And taking my children to uh, a photo studio, I'm going to say every three months, and spending a enormous amount of money on these photos of my children as they, it, and I had cameras of my own. I could I I took tons of pictures too, 
but you you would spend outrageous amounts of money on the I I did on these photos. And looking back, I mean, I still have the photos, but I I, I spend way too much money on it. But here's something I when I was a new parent, my my kids were old enough. I thought they were old enough to go camping. So I bought a used tent trailer, like a fold-up tent trailer, a used one. And I took my kids camping and discovered they weren't ready for camping or I wasn't ready to take kids camping, one or the other. And it didn't go well. But I think it's a top, there's a lot of things. I think if you asked every new parent, look back 20 years, would you do it differently? 100%, they would. there's a whole bunch of things they do different. So it'd be worth doing a show around that. I think it's a good topic. I'm excited for it already. That sounds, it sounds like it'll be a great show when we do uh, have it together. The next suggestion was from Kelsey and this was around the, uh, the concept, the topic of lines of credit and, and how to go about kind of handling them, thinking about them and, and working th- with them, I guess. Well, this is definitely a show topic, but just very brief synopsis of my feeling about it is I don't want credit to be like, so easily accessible that I just need to use a plastic card to get at it. Credit should be this real hard thing that you have to go and get approved for and it has to be for something specific. To have credit at your disposal just in super easy to access is, I think, a a road that you should never go down. And I, I do, I, I just to add on, I do like this question from Kelsey and, and kind of the, the angle of... of when it is paid off, what do we do with it? How do we keep our, how do we keep it around? How do, how do we? You don't, you shut it down. You get it. Once you get that debt paid off and you get that line of credit completely canceled. In fact, you know what? If you try to kill a line of credit, it's hard. The banks don't even, they don't even think you're speaking English. What do you mean you don't want this line of credit anymore? You try to get that out of your life and it's really, really hard. This, you should invest this time into figuring out how to spend less than you earn. You know, that, that is, and, and building an emergency fund, you know, invest your time and energy into solving that problem, that equation, not how to manage lines of credit and, and keep them there for just the event of an emergency. Get lines of credit. If you, if you're done with them, if you needed them, I'm not judging you, but once you've done, they, they've met their, serve their purpose for whatever emergency get them closed, get your, get it, get it completely canceled and out of your life. I love that. And, and again, we will, I think, I mean, I think there's so much more to explore around that topic. So we will be diving further into that as well. Uh, our last or second last, uh, future episode topic to explore. This one's from Jared and it's, it's a really great question. And I think one that a lot of us can relate to. So just a little backstory to this kind of this question, this, this topic is it's, it's more based around where to go from here, next steps after debt repayment. And if we've ever been in that scenario where we're maybe reaching the end of the tunnel of, or we can see the end of our tunnel, as, as Jared says, on on paying off, fully paying off our debt, we hit that point of, but then what? And there are a lot of general resources that say, do this and do that. But uh, besides, besides kind of starting an emergency fund, there's there's probably, there is a lot of questions around what's next. So that's, that's a show that I, I think we're really looking forward to doing. Well, in, in just a, a little brief note for Jared. So if you have paid off a bunch of debt, say it was student debt, he sounds like he's kind of young. So I'm going to say, just let's call it student debt. You have been spending less than you've earned for a period of time in order to say, to pay back that debt. So you have mastered a life skill. The next skill to develop is, is saving up money and let it, and not spending it. Like having saved money that you don't feel compelled to spend. So you've already mastered the skill of spending less than you earn. A lot of people can't get there. So now continue spending less than you earn. So you, you spent less than you earn to repay your debt. So continue with that spending less than you earn and have a a, a, an account of money that's super accessible. I mean, it's attached to your debit card and don't spend it. You know, develop that skill. 
it sounds easy. It sounds like you're not accomplishing something, but you really are. You are accomplishing something huge. I really like that. It's a really bite-sized piece. And after today's episode, I mean, I I would have doubted you on on for you saying that for saying that it's it's not a skill. But after this today's episode, I believe that that truly is a skill. And I mean. Jared asked some other questions about what can we do after that. And I, I'm really excited to, I think, dive into that on a future episode. Last, The last notable topic we wanted to touch on today, and thank you everyone else for your topic suggestions as well. This one is uh, related to the Smith Maneuver. And I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued about what this is, but this sounds like something that we could spend some time talking about. This is definitely a show topic, and I, I I love this question. So I looked it up. I wasn't even aware what it was. So the Smith Maneuver is basically using the equity in your home. So you've you've paid back your mortgage like a madman. You've really you just you're you're good at repaying back, right? And, and you, you've met those contractual obligations. You've paid down your your mortgage, and now you got this all this equity that the bank will let you borrow money for. Remember, I said they're pounding down your door saying, "Hey, do you want to take a second crack at repaying that mortgage?" And so they'll, they'll let you use the equity in your home for whatever you want, just drawn it like a savings account. And what this there's, people are doing is they're taking that equity in their home and they're buying and they're investing it like in the stock market, right? That, that's, that's what they're doing with it. So they're taking that money out of one asset, their home, and they're kind of, they're, it's called leverage. They're leveraging the equity in their home to invest in, say, stocks. So they say they're going to buy Apple stock or Netflix stock or even an index fund. And, and you, you, so if you're in an in a economic environment where everything's going up in value, and that's where we are right now, so your house is going up in value, so the equity that you can tap, every time your house goes up $50,000, that's more equity that you can tap into that the bank will let you borrow from. And you obviously want to invest that into, this, say, the stock market, which is also going up in value. Like why would you be buying if you didn't think it was going to go up, right? So both these things are going up. So if unless you live in some sort of make-believe world where uh, a year from now the economy is going to flip upside down and only houses are going to go down in value, but stocks are going to keep going. Like, like if if both these assets are going up at the same time in value, then when the economy finally tanks, they're both going to go down. In value at the same time. So you're what you've done is this is great when the assets are increasing in value. You know, every time you uh, open the newspaper, you're seeing uh, another house in your neighborhood selling for another fifty thousand dollars than more than it was last month. So it looks like money's falling from the sky. But when the economy finally turns, and it will, then when these things start going down in value, now you've you the leverage you were using to acquire stocks is now going to work against you on the way down. So let's just say in extreme case, the value of your home falls and all of a sudden you have taken more equity of your home than it's actually worth. This could happen. So just say you you borrowed $200,000 out of your equity in your home to buy stocks. And all of a sudden the real estate market just crashes. And now your home has fallen to below $200,000. And now it's time to renew your mortgage. It's, your mortgage has come, you had a five-year term and it's finally come up and you got to renew it. Well, the bank's going to say, well, I, I know your your house is only worth this. So this is the, this is the we're only going to loan you this much money, but you owe us more. So all of a sudden that leverage is working against you. I think the Smith Maneuver is is very dangerous. It it adds so much risk to your life. You you work so hard to pay off your mortgage, and to get that risk of o- owing on your house out of your life, only to, only to bring that risk back. I think it's really dangerous. This is how I feel about talking about it as a show topic idea. <laughs> you can imagine how when when I dive into this, I think it'd be a great show idea. And definitely, I cannot agree more with that. So thank you again for all of the, the, the topics and the comments and feedback. We absolutely love receiving them. So thank you so much. And we, we definitely look forward to hearing from you in the future. If there's anything that you would like to share with us. Um, yeah. So uh, thank you again for joining us for this episode. We 
we definitely talked about it a lot and uh, we, we can't wait to have you back here with us for a brand new show. Until then, keep it simple. <laughs>